now. Hi, my name is Molly Salzkog, and I am a research fellow at the Sufan Center. And I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, uh, Noreen Chaudhry Fink, who is the executive director of the Sufan Center. Noreen, it's great to be with you here today. Molly, it's great to be able to chat today. And so, you know, when we when we talk about far right extremism and and neo Nazis and and that the threat emanating from from that movement, uh, that extremist movement, we often focus on the domestic threat, like the what's going on domestically in the U.S. or in the U.K. or in Germany. Um, but I know that you've um, written and highlighted the importance of an international response to violent far-right groups, not just a focus on the domestic lens. So will you walk us through why that is important? Sure. Thanks for the question, Molly. Um, I, I think, you know, as you say, so much of the focus is on addressing these groups in their domestic context. And that means looking at the application of domestic laws, domestic, um, you know, counterterrorism, counterfinancing, um, sort of online uh, speech and things like that, all those kinds of measures. But as these groups start to have an international impact and they start to move persons, money, ideas across international borders, um, having an approach that centers on one country is not going to be enough in addressing that movement. And not only that, just because we have domestic measures in place or not, as the case may be, um, it doesn't mean that the country that these groups are moving to or between has that same set of measures. So as we've seen from, from the fight against terrorism over the last two decades, we do need some kind of consistent playbook among countries in terms of fostering legal cooperation, joint investigations, making sure there's some consistency in the rules against you know, hate speech or narratives or um, at least some of the financing issues. None of these will work in one country alone, so we really need a collective effort. Yeah, you point out a good, um, a good, uh, a very important fact here, which is I'm going to do a shameless plug for um, a report that I co-authored for the Sufan Center back in 2019, where we illustrated that the at least the white supremacy extremist movement was, you know, doubling down on on building this transnational network, which, as you point out, needs a transnational counterterrorism response and and you know also which is what we did with al-qaeda and isis um, and other types of transnational jihadi groups so what tools from that effort of the past 20 years can we use for violent far-right groups well molly as you know any plug that is for sufan center work is a plug that i can wholeheartedly endorse <laughs> um, but, you That's know, we have quite a lot of international frameworks and legislation that are not specific to any one kind of group. You know, for over 20 years, there's been international counterterrorism instruments. And while they were triggered by groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and focus on them, um, they are actually not specific to those groups. So, for example, in the UN Security Council 137, sorry, Security Council Resolution 1373, which is really the legal framework for a lot of counterterrorism obligations, is not specific to Al-Qaeda or ISIS. It can apply to to groups that, um, that countries deem to be terrorist threats. There are a lot of international um, standards and guidance and recommendations on countering the financing of terrorism that can be applied to a multitude of groups irrespective of the ideology. 
The same goes for a number of international frameworks on, you know, um, countering incitement to terrorism, countering incitement uh, to violent extremism, things like that. They're not specific to Al Qaeda and ISIS. So, you know, like many laws, a lot of the implementation depends on how people interpret them. And a lot of these instruments are, in fact, available for countries and organizations to use um, without having to to say something new. And this is, you know, Jason Blazakis and I wrote a piece in Lawfare pointing out precisely that a lot of the counterfinancing um, measures that are set out in UN counterterrorism frameworks could be very well applied to a number of um violent far-right groups in the international context. Well, I think this is fascinating um, for, for listeners uh, who are focused on the domestic issue because I feel like a lot of, um, or I've noticed a lot of people, and in, in myself included, are quite dismayed by the lack of leadership from the U.S. encountering this um, growing and, and very uh, front and center threat. So you argue that the U.N. can also play a leading role, if not the leading role in this. I mean, I think the UN is always a leading role and in mm -hmm. many instances it is states themselves um, and communities that, you know, take on the terrorist threat in their own context. But the UN plays a very important role or can play a very important role in harmonizing very different approaches from different states. It creates that common playbook. And, you know, um, there is quite a lot in there. A lot of people say just because there isn't a definition, the UN can't work on terrorism. But we do know that there are certain terrorist crimes that are consistent um, around the world. There are definitions of terrorist acts and things like that. And so there is quite a lot um, that can be consistently applied to include far-right groups. And so I don't think the UN is going to be the leading actor, but it can certainly be the key actor 